Hello, live streamers, and today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts, and this is where the podcast starts. It's time for Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Daily MLB Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast we talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. And if I can ever find my lower third, there it is. Call me Sully. Hey, it's December. It's I'm recording this uh, late on December first. Most of you are probably going to hear this on the morning of December second, but it's my first podcast of December as we're wrapping up 2022. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for the last decade and the last four full seasons here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram, and you can. Tell your smart device to play podcast Lockdown MLB or check out some of the other great shows of the po- Lockdown Podcast Network, including Locked On Yankees with the tremendous Stacey Gatsoulias. Uh, we had a big Yankee podcast yesterday. We were talking about something else today. And we also, uh, you can follow me. I'm still on Twitter. I cannot figure out this Mastodon thing. So I'm, I'm going to remain on Twitter right there. Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. A little bit of sad news. Uh, Gaylord Perry, Hall of Famer, who played for many teams, uh, primarily the Giants. He became a star with the Giants in the 1960s. He became the first player ever to win the Cy Young Award in both leagues. He won it as a member of the uh, Cleveland Indians in 1972. And then at uh, age, I believe it was 40, he won the Cy Young Award as a member of the San Diego Padres. We have to look that up for a second. Yeah, he was a 40-year-old, uh, 39-year-old, um, and for the Padres, so he had a wonderful season in 1978. He was an all-star many time over, threw a no-hitter along the way. He played for a bunch of teams, May, 10 years with the Giants before being traded to Cleveland, Spent four years, you know, he spent part of four seasons with the Indians, part of four seasons with the Texas Rangers, uh, two very successful years in San Diego. Uh, he got bounced to the Yankees one year. He played a year in Atlanta, played a year with the Royals. He played part of uh, two seasons with the Seattle Mariners. He was basically his career was done uh, after the strike season in 1981 when he pitched for the Atlanta Braves, but he came back because he was only a few games shy of winning his 300th game, which pretty much would ice a Hall of Fame career back then. And he came back, and he he wound up playing for the Seattle Mariners. And with that gave the Mariners really their first huge highlight. I think it was one of the first times you saw the – I think it was the first time you saw a Mariner on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And he got his 300th win in a complete game victory against his former teammates, the New York Yankees. And 
you know, he was someone who was a bit of a vagabond. You know, when he was inducted to the Hall of Fame, Commissioner Faye Vincent, um, what year was it? I think it was 1991, he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, and it was his third attempt on the ballot. Um, yeah, it was 1991. And uh, the commissioner, Faye Vincent, when they, at least then, when they they read the plaque, what's inscribed on the plaque, when uh, Gaylord Perry was inducted, they listed all the teams that he played for in his 22 years. You know, you know, Giants, Rangers, India, all the teams he played for. And when uh, Faye Vincent was done reading all the teams, he kind of smirked and looked over at Gaylord Perry and said, man couldn't hold down a job. When he bounced around so much, but still had success in many of the places he pitched in. But it's amazing how many Hall of Fame pitchers pitched for the Texas Rangers in the mid-1970s. Fergie Jenkins, Burt Blylevin, uh, uh uh, Gaylord Perry all pitched for the Rangers in a short period of time, and yet the Rangers really couldn't contend. It just shows how strong Oakland and later the uh, Kansas City Royals were. Uh, I digress, but when he was when he went to Old Timers Day later in his career, he wore a uniform that had all of the different uh, teams the logos of all the different teams that he had on uh, later. He was pretty, he was really embraced by the giants later. He, w- he had his number retired by San Francisco. And when he started going to events, he mainly was wearing the San Francisco giants hat, even though he had probably his best years were uh, probably with Cleveland. You know, as I said, he did win that other signing award with uh, the San Diego Padres a team where he had was surrounded by other future Hall of Famers. The fact that he had Raleigh Fingers on the 78 San Diego Padres team played a big, big part on his uh, entrance. Now, there's, of course, another element to his story. As ever, so many things about Gaylord Perry's story was, you know, tremendous. His brother, Jim Perry, who was older than him and is still with us, also won a Cy Young Award. He pitched for... Cleveland and Minnesota and a couple of the teams uh, briefly was a teammate of Gaylord Perry with the Cleveland Indians. Jim Perry won a Cy Young Award. So the brothers, each brother won a Cy Young Award, uh, but the younger brother Gaylord uh, went on to have the Hall of Fame career. It's impossible to talk about Gaylord Perry and not bring up the spitball. And he realized early on in his career that throwing the spitball was to his advantage or making the batter think he was about to throw a spitball. Now, the spitball, when you have some sort of foreign substance on your finger, it's usually not spit, that is used to create a pitch that has an unusual rotation that is hard to follow, is illegal. And one of the reasons why it's illegal is that a lot of people can't control it. It can be a potential dangerous pitch. Ray Chapman of the 1920 Cleveland Indians was hit in the head by a pitch from a ball that was spiked and, and uh, spit upon and all the different doctored up. He couldn't quite see the pitch. It was coming towards him and it was, it was erratic, hit him in the skull and killed him. And that's what led to using a spotless dry ball 
from that point forward. Well, Gaylord Perry was one of the pitchers who learned how to doctor the ball and put stuff on, you know, and, and put a foreign substance on. And he would, when he was on the mound, he would reach for his hat and he would reach for the back of his neck and reach for his jersey to put in the mind of the batter of, oh my God, he's going to throw something unusual. Now, for years and years, he said it was just a mind game. But later, after he retired, he admitted that he was cheating. He was throwing an illegal pitch. In fact, when he was on uh, Late Night with David Letterman, I think it was around the time he went to the was elected to the Hall of Fame. It was certainly after he retired after the 1983 season. He gleefully talked about how he did it. It became something to talk about. It became, uh, you know, it became, uh, you know, it, it, it's it became part of the game for him. It became part of his lore, and everybody knew it. He talked on Letterman how he basically put Vaseline all over his body and was able to just sort of like, as they were checking his hat and his glove, he would just sort of go like that and put it and then put it on it. There, the, the aging pitcher in the movie Major League is loosely based upon Gaylord Perry and how he had, you know, tricks up his sleeve and everything like that. He was a 300-game winner, a Hall of Famer, who was bending the rules, who was cheating. And yet, we sort of gave him a pass in so many ways. It became part of his lore, became part of his charm. And he, when in later uh, old timers' day, he would bring like a bucket to the mound as if he was going to dunk the ball in a bucket. And he's in the Hall of Fame. And I have no problem with him being in the Hall of Fame with his wonderful career. But it's interesting that Gaylord Perry dies on Thursday. This weekend, the Baseball Veterans Committee for the Hall of Fame is going to take a look at what, what is the official name of this ballot they, that they're doing here, the Contemporary Era. And the Veterans Committee does this every year or so where they look at uh, players who fell off the ballot and say they surely get second chance. Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. There's a panel, a small panel of people who are going to vote upon some players. And some of the players who are on the ballot are people who would have easily been in the Hall of Fame based upon their numbers. But they're not in the Hall of Fame because of the stench of cheating around their career. Three specific ones, which in the past would be a no-brainer, no doubt about it, Hall of Fame first ballot. Rafael Palmiro, Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds. We all know they're not in because of cheating. But Gaylord Perry is in, and he has absolutely said he's cheated. And that double standard is something that we're going to examine for the rest of this episode. Because I think it's a little more complicated than people being mad at cheaters and wanting to punish them. Because there is a double standard, and the more you peel that onion, the more that you see the difference between a Perry and a Bonds and Clemens has little to do with them cheating. And we're going to talk about that in our next segment, but this segment is 
brought to you by drum roll please bet online bet online remains your number one source for all your sports betting information get your fix for all your betting through bet online get the latest odds trends and every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball the world cup esports got it all at bet online if you love sports podcasts you can find those on bet online as well they're always the fastest and easiest way to get the betting fit so head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more bet online is where the game starts here are the players who are on the contemporary era ballot whose primary contributions to the game came between 1980 and the present day slightly overlapping with Gaylord Perry Albert Bell great peak uh his peak was in the steroid era when Albert Bell was huge jacked up and had anger issues is that evidence that would satisfy someone in the court of law no but if you're suspicious of someone yikes uh, Barry Bonds, obviously, most home runs in baseball history, many, many records. We all know. We'll get to him in a second. Roger Clemens. And again, I'm not going to talk about anything off the field with Roger Clemens because I don't know everything that happened. And if we start to learn more about things that Roger did off the field with underage women, that may make this conversation of a Hall of Fame induction a lot easier to dismiss. I don't know everything yet, and neither does anybody at this point. So I'm just going to talk about his baseball contributions. Uh, Don Mattingly, with who's now a Toronto Blue Jays uh, bench coach. Fred McGriff, who had a spectacular career, and I think may have a chance of getting in. Friend of the podcast, Dale Murphy, who was a guest on the show back in 2019. I'm rooting for him, if for no other reason, and to have a Hall of Famer on this show. And then you have Kurt Schilling, who doesn't have issues. He has a subscription. Um, I have issues with Kurt Schilling off the field personally, but as a pitcher, I think he's a no-brainer to be in the Hall of Fame. And, of course, you have Rafael Palmero, 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. Okay, the panel who's going to be voted on that would include people like Executives like Theo Epstein, Kim Eng, owners like Artie Moreno, Hall of Famers like Frank Thomas and Alan Trammell, Chipper Jones, Jack Morris, Ryan Sandberg, a bunch of people who got in via the Veterans Committee, including Morris and Lee Smith. It's a 16-member panel, and you have to get, uh, I believe it's 70% of whatever it is, you have to get a big chunk of the vote. Uh, Let's get the bet online graphic out of there. Um. Nor, under normal circumstances, this wouldn't even be an issue for Clemens, Bonds, and Rafael Palmero. They obviously have the stats. They obviously were significant players in their day. And you can make the argument if you want to cut off where we saw Clemens' body expand or we cut off where we see Bonds' body expand. Uh, well, they were Hall of Famers before that, which makes it one of the saddest parts about them being embroiled in this. But it is obvious that the reason they weren't voted in was because of the their involvement in the PED era. The same thing has gone for Alex Rodriguez. 
You don't want to put them in because they broke this record and that record. It wasn't clean. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. It wasn't the other thing. And that's sort of the common knowledge that we have. Why isn't Bonds in the Hall of Fame? PDs. Why isn't Clemens in the Hall of Fame? PDs. Why isn't A-Rod? PDs. Why isn't Rafael Palmeiro? PDs. And we cannot have cheaters in the Hall of Fame. We have Gaylord Perry. Now, for a long time, I took this point of view regarding that, that I thought psychologically for fans and for writers, the difference between doctoring a ball and doing a spitball and using performance-enhancing drugs was, uh, there was a little bit of, if not totally apples and oranges, then at least oranges and cuties. Please, uh, that 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 means something to me. Hopefully, it means something to you. I thought one of the things that made a difference for some people, I would have put Clemens and Bonds in the Hall of Fame immediately. The same with Palmero. And I, heck, I'd have Sosa and McGuire in as well. But I digress. For the people that the PEDs had such a strong hold on them, I really thought that at least subconsciously, the fact that their acts of obtaining the PEDs was illegal and dangerous for the body and could create an atmosphere where people are putting their physical body at risk was the main reason why that was a pro was a uh, such a factor for keeping them out of Cooperstown as opposed to spitting on a baseball. It's not illegal in terms of the laws of the land to doctor a baseball and put substance on it you know if i'm out in the open taking illegally obtained performance enhancing drugs i could get arrested but i could stand on the corner of colorado and fair oaks in downtown pasadena with a baseball in my hand and i could be drooling on it and licking it and putting it in my mouth and i wouldn't be breaking any laws it would be gross but it wouldn't be illegal. And I always felt that that was the thing that sort of was the barrier that the the PD users broke. But then some interesting factors took place. Ivar Rodriguez was one of the people named in the PED Mitchell Report and everything like that. We were pretty sure he's a PED user. He's in the Hall of Fame. There, and this is no hating on me. There is no bigger David Ortiz fan than me. But there is also no bigger obvious example of someone whose career was in the dumpster and suddenly they bulked up and they started having some heart issues. Their teeth started expanding and they transformed their body in the middle of the PED era. And he tested positive, David Ortiz. David Ortiz got in the first ballot. Jeff Bagwell got in. Do I have evidence that Jeff Bagwell took PEDs? No, I don't, except that he was a skinny kid with limited power in the minor leagues, gets traded to Houston, hangs around Ken Caminiti, suddenly looks like he's wearing those inflatable sumo suits, becomes a Hall of Fame caliber slugger in the middle of the steroid era, and his career ends just around the time they start testing. 
Gee whiz, I wonder if that's suspicious. And by the way, there's no positive test for Bonds or Clemens either. But Bagwell got in. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? And it makes it seem like there's another factor going on. Now, another factor that I felt came into play of why maybe Rodriguez and Bagwell and Ortiz aren't in and some of the other people I mentioned are, are in and the other people I mentioned aren't in is because, well, like McGuire broke a record. Sosa broke records. Bonds was the single season and the all-time home run record. That you saw Bonds passing Henry Aaron and breaking the records for the single season. And you saw Clemens breaking records and winning Cy Youngs in years where he probably should have been retired. And you saw them laying the claim to the throne of the greatest of all time this, the greatest of all time that. As opposed to being, no one thinks David Ortiz was the greatest of all time. No one thinks Jeff Bagwell was the greatest of all time. They merely became great players. So I thought maybe it's what I call Rosie Ruiz syndrome. If you know who Rosie Ruiz is, Rosie Ruiz was a marathon runner in the 1970s who cheated. She didn't run the whole GD marathon. She kind of jumped in the, to the end of the Boston marathon and ran the last leg and won. If she came in second or third place, nobody would have cared. Nobody would have cared. But because she won, it became such a great scandal. That similar thing, I think, is hanging over the Houston Astros. The fact that they won it all. If they were doing the bang and the drum and all the stuff that they were doing, but lost in the ALCS or lost in the League Championship, or hell, lost the World Series then this would have been an obscure little footnote. You know when the Astros have lost the World Series to the Dodgers? Yeah. Do you know they were banging a thing to let them know the pitch? No kidding. Oh, that's weird. That's effed up. And it would have been that. But because they won it all in a World Series that was razor thin, where so many games could have gone this way or that, so many games were determined in either extra innings or in the final at bat, that you found out that there were some shenanigans going on, that still hangs over the team, even though there's almost a complete turnover on the field, the coaching staff, and the front office. But it still hangs over. And I felt that that was a big part of it, too. Then I really started to examine the main differences and why the cheating scandals seem to affect one and not the other. I'm going to say it. Sports fans don't care about cheating. They want to care about it. They think they care about it. But Americans, in so many ways, love cheats. They love the people who get around stuff. They love con artists. They love people who trick their way through stuff. We'll watch an Ocean's Eleven or The Sting or anything about con artists trying to sneak their way and trick people. It's one of the things we love about mob movies. We love to see people bending the rules. And we see people bending the rules in sports, and sometimes we love it. 
We think it's we think there's ingenuity to it. You know, there was a there was a popular baseball movie called It Happened Every Spring, which came out in the 40s or 50s, which involved Ray Milan being a pitcher who had a special substance he put on the ball that was that that could not touch wood. If it sensed wood, it would move away from it. So he kept throwing the the ball to the hitters and with this with this illegal stuff on it, and it kept zooming around it. And so he kept throwing no hitter after no hitter. That's a you know the film Angels of the Outfield is a team getting assists from ghosts and, and angels carrying players. We love to hear stories about this person cheating, this person getting away with something. It's part of our lore. Con artists, cheats, people who beat the system. And there's almost a sense of admiration when you hear about people who are able to make little sneaky plays or get away with something. But admiration is a much stronger reason why David Ortiz got in on the first ballot. And after, what, 10 ballots, Clemens and Bonds fell off and basically have to beg a panel to let them in. And these panels sometimes let in players like Bill Mazeroski or Harold Baines, who probably aren't Hall of Famers. But what do Bill Mazeroski and Harold Baines, and David Ortiz, and Mike Piazza, which there was more than a little whispering about, or Rodriguez, or Jeff Bagwell, for that, re- for that matter, all have in common, and that Alex Rodriguez and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Rafael Palmero and Manny Ramirez don't. You know what it is? It's actually kind of a simple thing. People like them. The media likes them. The reporters like them. And they create an image of them of being fun, lovable people. And therefore, the fans like them. There was no animosity towards David Ortiz because he was a big, lovable teddy bear of a guy. Just like Andy Pettit, another PED user. Not an opinion, a fact. He admitted it after he was caught. Never got the, the, the guff for it. Mainly because people liked Andy. And they believed his BS story of, oh, I only did it once because that's how steroids work. Or, you know, oh, I was praying to God the whole time. McGuire seemed like a big old grumpy phony. And then when he went in front of the, when he testified, he said, I don't want to talk about the fat, the past. He looked like a big old phony. Rafael Palmero doing the, I didn't take any steroids, period, doing the whole Bill Clinton act. And he looked like a big old full of it liar. People were more angry about that than the PEDs. People didn't like Bonds and Clemens before they ballooned up. People hated A-Rod before they knew they were, he was a PED user. And remember, when he re-signed with the Yankees after the 07 season, and there was all the grumble and grumble and grumble about Bonds breaking Hank Aaron's record, 
One of the things that Scott Boras said about Alex Rodriguez was he's going to be the new clean home run champion. We all saw how that worked out. But there was a sense of, yeah, people didn't like A-Rod. He seemed like a big phony. Now, I, I never, ever understood, now as, as someone who grew up a you know, Red Sox fan, I understood booing Alex Rodriguez as a Yankee, but I never understood the animosity people had towards A-Rod. Was it because he was handsome? Was it because he made a lot of money? Yes, he left the Mariners for a big pile of money in Texas. So would have you, you would have done the same thing. But he became such a such a hated player, even amongst Yankee fans. It's they like one group of people and not the other. And it's to the point where there are people who, if they weren't so beloved by a fan base, you would find there's some other big beloved players that you may even start to question. But you don't dare do that because they're lovable. Why couldn't I question Nolan Ryan in the middle of that era, doing stuff that we never saw before, seeing his pitches get faster than ever before? I mean, why can't I question that? Why can't I question if we see that PDs are used for recovery, that someone like, I don't know, a shortstop for the Orioles never missing a game. Why can't I raise an eyebrow about that? You don't dare do that because those are two of the most loved players in the history of the game. You don't do that. But if they were grumpy men, if they were surly players snapping at the media, snapping at the fans, you're darn right people would be questioning them. So in the end, this weird double standard Gaylord Perry admitting that he's cheated his way to 300 wins. In some ways, Gaylord Perry was shielded by the fact that he was a a folksy, good old boy. You know, he always, even when he was in his 30s, he looked like an old man. He had that Wilford Brimley syndrome. He never looked young. And there was a sense of, hey, this is a guy who just found a way to succeed. There's There's almost American ingenuity with that. That a guy who was an okay pitcher suddenly became a Hall of Famer. Because he covered his body in Vaseline and kept on going and going. Did so with a smile and a folksy attitude. To the point where he had a sense of humor about it. It helped matters also that Gaylord Perry didn't pitch the Giants to a World Series championship. Or the Padres or the Indians or whatever team he played for. You know, that he won 300 games and in the end played in one postseason series. He played 22 years with all those teams. And only three of the teams he played for went to the postseason. The 62 Giants, he didn't play in the playoffs. He didn't play in that World Series. The 71 Giants, the only postseason series he appeared in. And the 80 Yankees, he didn't appear in that uh, short ALCS that year. So he won all those games, but none of them was a World Series clinch or anything like that. If he had done a Jack Morris where it was Game 7 of a razor-thin World Series, the way that Jack Morris did in 1991 with Minnesota. And Morris came out and threw a 10-inning shutout in Game 7. If that had been Gaylord Perry throwing a 10-inning shutout to win a airtight Game 7 of the World Series, and they found out he was doctoring the ball and putting God knows what all over his body, yeah, he would be maybe not a pariah. but certainly someone who would be 
classified as a cheater, and that may have affected his entrance to the Hall of Fame. Jason Giambi was a user. We all know he was. He got initially some booze, but eventually became someone who just seemed to be like a dumb lug who was lured into it. Jose Canseco always was kind of a big, cocky SOB. Dayton models, acting like he was the bee's knees. And we found out he was doing everything left and right. I oddly kind of admire Canseco because everything he said turned out to be correct. Every name he said turned out to be correct. He was the seemed to be the only honest person during the PED hearings. But the fact of the matter is people didn't like Canseco. Canseco should probably be in the Hall of Fame, if for no other reason, as a pioneer. The reason why Perry is in, Ortiz is in, Piazza, Bagwell, Yvonne Rodriguez, is they were all liked by the fan base and liked by the media. And the reason why the others aren't is they weren't liked. Is it a popularity contest? Yeah, and one that goes beyond the numbers. If Barry Bonds had the sort of attitudes that Ken Griffey Jr. had or Tony Gwynn had, smiling, waving to the fans, signing autographs, sense of humor about this, that, or the other thing during his days with Pittsburgh and San Francisco, he would have been in on the first ballot. There wouldn't have been a question. If Roger Clemens wasn't this prickly SOB that he was his entire career and was a little more lovable and cuddly, he would have been in on the first ballot. And all the things we're learning about him would have been kind of like what happened with Roberto Alomar, who got into the Hall of Fame, and then suddenly we learned all these horrible things about him. He would have already been in. So now you got to deal with the aftermath of the, the effects of Alomar in the Hall of Fame, whether he should be taken out or what. That's something they have to decide. This would have been something we would have had a Clemens Day and then have to decide this. It's about being liked. Gaylord Perry, may he rest in peace, cheated. He admitted it. He talked about it gleefully on David Letterman. It became a joke. It became part of every eulogy that you saw of Gaylord Perry. He got away with it because people liked him. And sometimes it's that simple. This is a game of entertainment. It's entertaining to see Bonds hit one out of the park. And it's entertaining to see Gaylord Perry on the mound and everybody in the park going, I wonder what he's doing. What is he doing? He's going for his hat. He's going, what's he doing? So if you want to be entertaining on the field, they did the job. If you want to be enshrined, then what you should do? You should befriend the very writers you need to get into the hall. Now, what's going to happen with Bonds and Palmero and Clemens and Schilling and McGriff and uh, Don Mattingly and Dale Murphy and the people on the ballot? I don't know. I honestly don't. These things are very unpredictable. I thought for sure Dick Allen was going to get in a couple of years ago, and he missed. And I also thought for sure Harold Baines had no chance of getting in, and he did. Harold Baines, very good player. I don't think Hall of Famer, but he's in, so good luck to him. And beloved, friendly, nice, nice to the other teammates. 
Scalar Perry was one of those types of players. Was Bonds, Clemens, or Palmero? Well, maybe that's why they're on the outside looking in. So, hey, thanks so much for making Locked On MLB your first listen today. For your second listen today, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insight that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today is available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Paying our respects to Gaylord Perry and discussing the double standard of cheating, this has been Locked On MLB for December 1st, 2022. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.